morning, I'd like you to turn over to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. <clears throat> We've been talking <clears throat> about uh, this uh, issue of the Christian warfare, the war within, uh, dealing with uh, the, the temptations that we fight, and uh, talking about uh, how important it is that we understand the war within before we start talking about the war without. And what I mean by the war without is obviously the Christian influence and uh, how it is that we are standing for truth in this world. Um, if you have individuals that are unwilling to stand for truth in their individual lives, then that of Christianity will have little to no effect. So we want to make sure that what we're doing is obviously glorifying God and is very clearly giving him all of the praise so we understand it's his battle, and uh, we are in that fight for his battle, and how we go about doing it is of the utmost importance. We've talked a lot about uh, defeat. We've talked a lot about uh, um, how, to, how to fight, things of that nature. And last week, we were talking about hindrances, and we started off talking about two of the impediments uh, to growth, two impediments to realizing victory in our personal lives. If you will, common uh, obstacles are the entanglements with this world and, if you will, the defeated mentality concept. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about a couple other impediments that are here. And I'm not, again, this is not a, a, a all-inclusive list. This is uh, just a few of these items that happen to be some of the bigger ones. Um, and the one that I wanted to focus on this morning, uh, the first one that I wanted to talk about, is that of fear and cowardice. Fear and cowardice. So in Joshua chapter 1, and if we take a a look at verse 6 and verse 7, it says, Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now we understand that right here in Joshua chapter 1, there's a lot of information being given that is very doctrinally applicable to us. Now obviously we're not talking about following the Mosaic law in our lives right now, but if we look at the commandments of what God has given us as Christians, and again, we have to understand that we are under the law of Christ, there are still things that he uh, has commanded us to do. And when we understand that concept, we start going through this, we start looking at uh, what it is that we, we should be doing, we find that if we're going to go in and we're going to have any type of an impact and we're going to do anything for the Lord, that there's this need for courage, to be strong and courageous, very courageous. Um, and, and again, I will tell you, fear will paralyze people. Fear will paralyze people in such a way that they will do nothing for Jesus Christ. Fear will grip a person so hard and hold them down because it is, if you will, sometimes irrational, illogical, not of a sound mind fear. Now we understand that the fear of the Lord is what we should have. And that's very, very different than the normal average fears and phobias that really take hold of our lives. Some people have some pretty severe phobias, some pretty severe fears. I personally do not like heights. Um, you get me uh, looking at a picture and, and all of a sudden my stomach starts doing some, uh, doing a number. Uh, I don't like it. I, I, I have an issue with it. Um, you know, if I go up to, you know, the local mall over here in Vancouver and I'm standing and I look over the edge, I get a little bit of a queasy feeling. I don't, I don't care for it. I don't like it. So when I begin to, 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 if you will, focus on a phobia like that, I'm going to more likely focus on what is the physical feeling that's there. I'm going to focus on things that are going to cause me some problems, some issues in my life. Um, with, uh, uh, with debilitating, if you will, fears that are going to prevent me from doing something. When I was young, I decided, you know what? I wasn't going to let that fear and that phobia get to me. I wasn't going to let that fear and phobia get to me. You know, some people that fear of heights gets so bad they can't get on an airplane. I have no problem getting on board a jet. I have no problem getting on board a prop plane. 
I don't, I don't have any issues with that. Some people get uh, fear so bad they won't even get like uh, on a helicopter. As a matter of fact, get me on a helicopter. I, I, I'm fine with that. I'll, you'll see me from ear to ear grin because I love helicopters. There's just something about them. I don't know what it is. I, I it's so much so that I decided to, to really, if you will, try to put this fear into perspective, understanding that it was just some sort of physical thing that my body was reacting to that I decided to take up rock climbing. Now, somebody that has a fear of heights or a phobia of heights is not typically going to do that. But what I did is I began to, to, to understand the process of trust. When you're rock climbing, and I'm talking about, not, I'm not talking about that freestyle stuff that everybody sees and that, uh, you know, these people do in, you know, these stunts and things like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, using the equipment and, and having ropes and lines and people that know what they're doing and, uh, none of this, uh, you know, amateur hour stuff. Uh, but, uh, y- you begin to have a trust. You, you trust the person that's down below holding your line. You, you trust the rope. You trust the equipment that's being used. And, and, uh, uh, there was, there was some trust that was there. And I began to learn that there was a correlation between my fear and trust. And I realized that generally what inhibits me from trusting God is going to be whatever fear it is that I have. So people have a fear of losing their family, people have a fear of losing their job, people have a fear of finances, people have a fear of health issues, people have a fear of uh, dealing with people, people have a fear of rejection, people have all these fears that exist in the world today, and many of them will keep us from trusting God and realizing the promises that God has given to us. And I mean, it makes it very clear here that the idea and the concept behind conquering those fears is the word of God. It comes in and it will do that. It will conquer that. Turn over to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Again, another very familiar passage when it comes to fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and then verse 7, it says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you not only have forgiveness of sins, praise the Lord for that, not only do you have an eternal home in heaven, and praise the Lord for that, not only do you have one day you're going to get a redeemed physical body with no pain and no issues, amen for that, and then on top of that, you know what else we're going to wind up getting? When we trusted Christ as our Savior, we immediately received the Holy Spirit. He came in, he sealed us with a promise, uh, we're saved no matter how much we, we backslide and do things, we are saved and praise God for it. And that again doesn't give us liberty to sin, but what it does do is puts those things in perspective of what we're doing for God. But here he is, he's talking about this and he's saying, look, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So when we trust that Christ as our savior, we have a spirit that is powerful, a spirit that demonstrates the love of God, and a spirit that will give us that sound mind incorporating wisdom, instruction, knowledge, and understanding to guide us in this day-to-day life. And generally when a person is is being racked with fear and that fear is preventing them from doing that which is right, preventing them from having victory in the battle, it's because... They are, they're, that fear is, is overwhelming them. That fear is, is, if you will, just, just swallowing them up. I was doing a study on the, the, the word overwhelmed, looking at some things in scripture and looking at that according to what the psalmist said. And there's some very important things talking about how when he was overwhelmed, there was this cry unto the Lord. And what we find in this passage is that God is telling Timothy, look, you know, you've got this, this issue of fear. You're fearing what's going on with Paul. You're fearing, uh, being associated with him. Don't fear that. Don't worry about that. Why? Because you have power to continue in the work. You have power to have that victory in your life. You have the love of God to keep you and to hold you and preserve you. You also have, on top of that, the sound mind. And here's the issue. 
when fear overwhelms us and fear becomes the predominant thing, and fear is the one that, if you will, uh, guides our thought processes and, if you will, leads our spirit and our soul, then the end result of what will happen is we will not be logical or rational. I mean, we've seen it before. Has anybody ever seen a person that they got so scared that they that you couldn't even communicate with them? I mean, there are times that, you know, sometimes you see it in um, movies or TV or something like that. And somebody just gets all, uh, and they used to do it in the cartoons back in the day when I would watch it. And you'd see some some character just like freaking out and the other character would grab and, and, and they would begin to introduce violence into the issue. And they're smacking them around and things like that. And of course, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure that's probably not accepted today in this, you know, whatever. <clears throat> you know, sometimes you, sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes, you know, it gets to a point of where somebody is so irrational that you gotta bring them to the rational by, uh, if you will, shock. But I will tell you, when, when we operate off of fear, we are not in a sound state of mind. We're illogical. We won't do things that are right. And this is generally what happens. So when a person looks at their life and they, they sit there and they say, man, I'm constantly failing to please God. I'm constantly losing the day-to-day battle. You know, these, there's something here that's hindering me. What is it? Start looking at the fear. Start looking at the fear. Because I guarantee you what you will find is you will find that that fear will cause you to do the opposite of what you're supposed to do. You know, there's this uh, uh, this uh, this mentality that happens in uh, um, uh, kind of, if you will, in the, the the security world and realm and things like that. And uh, something happens in a uh, in a place where there's cubicles, the rat race, if you will. <clears throat> there's this thing called prairie dogging. And what happens is, is, uh, somebody does something, somebody yells, ow, or somebody drops something, and all of a sudden, you see all of these employees' heads popping up over their cubicle walls. Out of curiosity. Now, again, sometimes people will do something like that, and, and again, it causes them to do the opposite of what they were supposed to be doing. As an example, you hear a gunshot, don't do this. Hit the deck. You hear a gunshot, the first thing you do is you get on the ground. Why? Because you don't know if they're shooting at you. <laughs> Just hit the deck and, and, you know, analyze the situation, get to cover and figure out what you need to do next. There, there, there's, there's, there's this response that you, is, would be considered, that would be considered a normal response. A normal response. Oh, so there was one guy one time, he, he was, uh, uh, he was a former Marine and he did all this writing for these gun mags and things of that nature. And, uh, he was at a gun show and he, he said purposely he didn't like to go gun shows because sometimes, uh, it gets a little bit too much like the wild, wild west there and so on and so forth. And, uh, uh, he remembers that somebody dropped something like a large pallet or something and it dropped and it made that, that crack. And him and every, or he, there was one other guy that he was talking to, just boom, they went down on the ground. That was their initial response. And they're both down on the ground and everybody is, is standing around doing this. Like, what was that sound? And as he's down on the ground, he looks at the other guy and he goes, which unit? And they're like, oh, I was with this recon force. And oh, oh yeah, if they're on the ground, you know, engaging in conversation because they knew what to do. It was the normal response to them. That's what they were trained to do was hit the deck. But what happens in a fearful situation is we often do the opposite and put ourselves at risk. And the things that we fear losing the most are generally what is at risk when we have that fear overriding us. So the end result is, is we look to the Holy Spirit of God. We look to his leading. Turn over to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Acts 
Acts chapter 4. Um, just to back up here in verse 23, uh, Peter and John are sent before the council told, don't preach the gospel. And they said, well, we're going to do what God tells us to do. And in verse 23, it says, and being let go, they went their way in their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. Thou hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, uh, with the Gentiles and with the people of Israel were gathered together. For, what, for whatsoever to do thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold the threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And here they are. They've witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They've witnessed how much he has been ostracized throughout his entire ministry, how much they just truly hated him. All of these things, and now with Christ physically not being there, they're directing their attention to the disciples. Now, obviously, Jesus Christ warned them about this and said this was going to happen. But here they are, and they're saying during these times of threatenings, and says, Lord, behold the threatenings. He says, grant unto thy servants with all boldness that they may speak thy word. There has to be a prayer for boldness and a desire for that boldness to speak up for Christ and do the right thing. Fear will hold us back from that. Fear will prevent us from doing that. And we find here that this is this is the way that Peter and John initially stated. They saw like, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Lord, you know what they're saying to us? Then you understand the threats that they're making against our lives? Lord, give us boldness to do what is right. So regardless of what is going on out in the world, and regardless of, of sometimes the things that are even going on in our own personal life, we have to understand that that fear has to be set aside, that courage needs to be brought in by the Word of God, and that boldness that we seek in prayer has to be sought after and requested and asked for so that we would do that which is right in our life. There needs to be that desire that's there. There has to be that desire that's there. Go over the book of uh, um, Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. I want you to see something here in Revelation. <clears throat> now, if there's one thing that I know about the book of Revelation, is that the revelation of Jesus Christ, as it is called, reveals some other things that just are really unpleasant. Uh, if you read through the, uh, the book of Revelation, you'll come away with that going, what just happened? <laughs> Because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that had just gone on there. But what we find here in Revelation chapter 2, or excuse me, Revelation, uh, um, uh, sorry, not chapter 2, chapter 21. I will get it right. Revelation chapter 21. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 21. And I, I want to back up here just a little bit. Uh, in verse 1, we see that there's the new heaven and the new earth. This heaven and this earth that we know of that is here, this uh, universe and all the things that are there, and uh, this uh, this ball that we're currently standing on, uh, no, it is not a flat earth. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's all going to be dissolved. It'll go away. The Bible says that he's going to melt it, with a fervent heat. The elements are going to pass away. There's going to be violence with it. Uh, he's not just taking it off and, if you will, holding that ball and then scraping the outer surface off and then putting some new stuff on. No, it's completely destroyed and something new is brought forth. So we have a new heaven and a new earth. It says, for the first, uh, first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And so obviously we see some things that are very different here. But I want you to see what God starts talking about, about who winds up getting in to this uh, uh, this new kingdom. 
And it says here that obviously in verse 4, and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne, behold, uh, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give unto him that is a thirst, of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and this will be his God, uh, excuse me, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, but the fearful, and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and liars, all liars, uh, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You know what one of the biggest reasons why people do not trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that sends them right to this lake that he's talking about? Fear. Fear. They fear they're going to lose something. They fear they're going to lose friends. They fear they're going to lose family. They're going to fear they're going to lose their life of having a good time. They're going to fear that they're, uh, they're going to lose the things that they love in this world, in this life. So often is the case, people are kept away from, from God because of fear. They're kept from having a real relationship with God because of fear. And notice that's the very first thing that he mentions, but the fearful. Now, Obviously, we can take something away from this. And we know that we don't have that spirit of fear, but what do we have? We have the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So praise God, we're not in this, in this, uh, verse eight here. These are people that have rejected Christ. These are people that have chosen sin over God. These are people that have chosen the way of the world over God. These are people that have chosen themselves over God. That's who this group is. And what thing we wind up finding out is that fear often becomes a very selfish, selfish thing. Because it becomes so focused on self that it has no realization and trust in who God is. It's no longer about him. It's about me. So fear becomes a great hindrance. Fear becomes a great hindrance when it comes to these things that we see in, in, in Christian warfare. I want you to turn over to Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10, and I want to point out one of the other ones. <clears throat> and this one, I dare say, is generally the biggest. <clears throat> you want to know what the biggest problem or the biggest hindrance in every, every Christian life I'll tell you this, the biggest problem, biggest hindrance in the Christian life that I live is me. My pride. What I want. My will. Some people call it the natural man. Some people call it uh, the old man. Some people uh, call it the sin nature. People call it various different things. But I will just flat out say, you know what that is? It is pride. It's pride. It's what caused Lucifer to fall, and it's what causes every Christian to fall at some point in time. Pride will raise its ugly head. Pride will come in and bring you low. Because look at what happens here in Psalm chapter 10 in verse 4. What does God say? It says, uh, um, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. The biggest issue that happens and occurs and why people have issues doing what is right is pride. Pride steps in. Pride causes issues. Pride causes problems. And here he is talking about the wicked and he says, you know what drives the wicked is the pride of their own countenance. When they look at themselves in the mirror, they are their own God. They worship themselves. And what does it say? It says God is not in his thoughts. They won't seek after God. Pride will keep you away from doing the will of God every single time. This is why that man of pride, that woman of pride in our life, 
has to be, every single day, mortified. It has to be put down. I mean, you got to wake up in the morning and, and that thing, you look in the mirror and you go, not today. <laughs> Danny Fox came one time and he had one of those shirts on and says, not today, Satan. You know what? I dare say that a lot of times we need to say that to ourselves. <clears throat> not today, Satan, talking about me. Because I'm the one that will have that, if you will, satanic mentality that will say, oh, well, you know, I don't have to do what God tells me to do. I don't have to follow it, follow it fully. I, 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 it always used to bug me on to be out there soul winning and, and somebody would say, well, you know, me and God, we've got a pretty tight relationship. Oh, you do? Yeah, we're like this. Like, oh, okay. Um, you want to tell me exactly... You know, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, ah, well, I see, me and God, we don't, we, we, we're not like that. You know, I, I, he, he knows who I am, he knows what I deal with, and he, he's willing to accept me as I am with all my faults and flaws and things, and, and, and therefore, you know, I, I just acknowledge him, and I know he's there, and, and, you know, I'll pray to him when I need, when I need some things, and, uh, like that, but, uh, you know, he just knows who I am, and, but we got a pretty good relationship. And I'm like, no, you don't. God is nowhere near you. You, the, the, the one that you're referring to God is yourself. They're not. They're not seeking God and God's not after. You know what happens when you come to God? Yeah, you can come with all your faults and your flaws. But you know what happens when you come to God with all your faults and your flaws? You walk away what? Changed. You walk away a new creature. Behold, all things have become new. Because why? God, God is all about new. We, we have new blessings daily. We have new mercies daily. We have new, uh, uh, if you will, uh, uh, will of God revealed to us daily. All of these things we begin to realize he is the God anew as we just saw over there in the book of Revelation 21. So we see, we see very clearly pride is going to keep us from that. Pride is going to hinder us. Uh, to understand again the effects of pride, just turn over one more book to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has several things to say about pride. Why? Because pride is in the heart of a foolish man. Pride is exactly what he says needs to be taken care of in, in chapter 6 of Proverbs. But in Proverbs chapter 8, I want us to see some things that he talks about. He, he, he says in Proverbs chapter 6 that he, that, that he hates and it is abominable to him, and that is the proud look. But, he, <coughs> but here in uh, um, Proverbs chapter 8, take a look at what he says here in verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride. Arrogancy in the evil way and forward mouth do I hate. There are three things right there that God says should never be part of a believer's life. Three things that God says should never be part of a a believer's life. Obviously, the evil way is kind of somewhat self-explanatory. And most people will agree with that one. But there's the other two that a lot of people have some issues with. And what do we find with that? Pride and arrogancy. A Christian should never be arrogant. Why? Because it is a close relative to pride. It's a close relative to pride. Pride is something that should be hated. Here it says wisdom hates it. Meaning it is anti-God. It is anti-Christ. Take a look at another passage. Go over to chapter 11. Chapter 11, and see what he says here in verse 2. It said, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. You know, humility is one of the key things that we as Christians need to learn. Humbleness and humility is the mind of Christ, as we saw over in Philippians. But here he says very clearly that when pride cometh, or excuse me, uh, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. 
Because a person will lift themselves up in pride and then they will get in a situation where they've done something that is wrong and then there they are lifted up in their own pride and here comes the shame because of what they've done. The end result is that what started that was the pride that said, I can do this against God and God's going to be okay with it. No, he's not. There's shame. There's shame. When David did what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah, there was shame. There was shame. And it was by the pride and arrogancy that he lifted up his, his, uh, um, himself saying, I can do this. I'm king. I can do whatever I want to do. And then to have the gall to think he could cover it up and get away with it. Well, that came about because of pride. Take a look at chapter 13. Chapter 13 of the book of Proverbs and in verse 10. Chapter 13, 10, it says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Now, obviously, verse 10 is one of those verses that we frequently talk about. Only by pride cometh contention. The reason why there's fighting and going on and carrying on, as he talks about over there in the book of James chapter 4, is because of pride and people wanting certain things and lust and desires that are not according to Scripture. And those lusts and desires that say, I want this, I want this, I want this, I don't care what God says, is rising up in rebellion and pride against God. Which is why we have to check our desires. Is that what God wants for us? Does it match scripture? If not, it is a wicked thing that we're lusting after and pride's going to come. And guess what's going to happen? We're going to contend with God. And with all due respect, who do you think is going to win? Anybody need to try to pick a fight with God? I know a few people that have tried. They just flat out just defied God and said, nope, I'm going to do it and I don't care what God says. People warned them. No. (laughs) And they were like, no, I'm going to do it anyways. And that's when you just like, okay, you just, I'm going to be over here. (laughs) You bang again back and away. Why? Because they decided they're going to go ahead and pick that fight with God. Well, just just to kind of give you the spoiler, God's going to win. God will win. Whether you have to answer in this life or the next life, one way, shape, or form, you will stand in judgment according to the book of Ecclesiastes. That's just the way it is. But only by pride. The reason why there's fights, the reason why people have disagreements that uh, escalate to the point of uh, severe contention, where there's friction and there's going on, is because pride is involved. And generally, it's the prideful person that points out and says, well, it's not me. They're the ones with pride. Both parties are at fault. Because both parties are causing that strife. Causing that strife. Take a look at chapter 16. Chapter 16. It says, pride goeth before destruction in verse 18. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. One of the main reasons why we fall and the main reasons why we uh, uh, um, are hindered in growth and uh, uh, victory in our Christian life is because pride is there and it happens right before destruction. Defiance. Defiance. Remember over there in... Uh, the book of First Kings, there's Zimri, who is the uh, um, the one that is uh, king of Ju- uh, king of the uh, kingdom of Israel at that time, and he's about ready to be overthrown by Omri, which is uh, um, the uh, uh, if you will the the, the, um, the father of Ahab, and, and uh, here here's Zimri, and he realizes he's losing the battle. So what does he do? In pride, he goes and locks himself up in his own house, and then he lights his own house on fire, and he burns to death by his own hand. Wow. Wow. That's a a pretty serious thing. 
That's a pretty serious thing to, to begin to realize that there he is in suicide and what was he doing? He was still going down and he was going down, if you will, in a blaze of glory, right? <laughs> no, that wasn't glory. There was no glory in that at all. But this is what happens. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 29. Pride is going to come before that destruction. And the reason why we fall is that haughty spirit that is in contrary to what God tells us to do. In Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. <clears throat> Take a look at verse uh, 23. It says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. People lift themselves up in pride, but the the issue with that is just like what we saw with fear, it's the opposite. People lift themselves up in pride and pride and pride and pride and pride and pride, and then pfft. want to know why one of the major reasons why the United States of America is in the problem that we're in? Far too much pride. Far too much pride. I understand, you know, loving your country and supporting your country and doing things like that. But if you get too pride-filled in that country, that country will fall. That country will fall. But here he's saying, you know, what brings a person low? What brings them to the bottom? What, what generally you find at the bottom of the barrel is a man that only thing that he thinks he has left is his pride when actually he doesn't have even that. That's generally what happens. But he says, honor upholds the humble in spirit. What keeps you from falling? Humility. Humility. Everybody could use it with a good dose of humility. Turn over to first, uh, first John, first John chapter two. He identifies, you know, these three things that are in the world that are related to the spirit of Antichrist in John, 1 John chapter 2. And he says there's things that are in this world that people love. And he says that we're very clearly in verse 15 not to love the world. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And what he's saying here is you will generally find that that person that is an unbeliever, the person that he is refusing to follow Christ, has a greater love for the things of this world than for Jesus. They're going to go after that. And he says right there that it's the pride of life. The pride of life. And again, most people can't even begin to realize it. You know, if you ever argue with an evolutionist, you will find out there is a pride of life in that person. Because they start talking about, well, I'm evolved. I'm, you know, I'm smarter than you because I understand these mathematical theories. And you're like, those mathematical theories have been flawed from the very beginning. And, and, and furthermore, a lot of those mathematical theories they're having some serious issues with because as they try to uh, seek after these other things, quote-unquote, the God particle that they're going after, guess what they find? Their other mathematical theories can't hold up to that theory. Well, that's interesting. All these people lifted up with pride, the pride of life. Just because they have life. People have no value for human life. People have no value for human life. You know, this, this may be a bit of a tangent to, to go on, but, but, but again, I, I use this to illustrate the fallacy of this, 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 this issue, this problem. You go and you talk to somebody that is, is, is anti-life. And what I mean by that is they call these people pro-choice. Okay? They're pro-abortion. And these individuals will sit there and they will say something of the nature, well, it's my life, it's my body, it's my choice. Why should I have to care 
for that which is in me, which is not, as they describe, a life. Now, I understand. I 100% totally get it. Okay, they argue that point. The only thing that I can see at that point in time is that they have a pride of life. It's my life. I don't want any consequences to my actions. Why should I have to care for that child even though it was my actions that created it? Now, I understand the, the, then they'll start bringing up other stuff and, the, and they start you know, going after that straw man, and I get it. But you still understand what I'm saying there is you look at that and, and it's like, well, well, I care more about my life than the life of something else. Well, according to NASA and almost every single biologist on the face of the earth, that fetus that is a clump of cells has life because it is actually replicating and growing. A clump of cells, okay, does the cell have life, yes or no? Every biologist will tell you if the cell is moving and it's got its little, you know, nucleus and it's doing all the little factory work and things that it does and all that, that yes, the cell is alive. If the cell is dead, what happens? Dead. If all the cells in your body were dead, you too would be dead. And then you just look at this and you go, wait a second. But it's the pride of life in it's that they think that their life is their own. And it's not. As a believer, we understand it because we are bought with a price. And the church of Corinth had a hard time understanding it. And, and Paul had to say, what, know ye not? Every Christian here that, that reads the book of First Corinthians and understands that passage where it says, what, know ye not? We're bought with a price. Your life is not your own. It's God's. It belongs to him and him alone. Therefore, it should be used for his total honor, glory, and praise. I want to point out one more thing that is uh, uh, often uh, an issue and a problem that we run into. Uh, Go over... To the book of Acts. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 8. So we've seen entanglement. We've seen defeated mentality. We've seen cowardice and fear. We've seen pride. And here's another one. And I'll bring this up. Bitterness. Many times people will, will, will run into an issue about why they can't seem to figure out why they're doing what is wrong. It will be bitter, bitterness. It'll be bitterness. Uh, bitterness is not something God wants in your life at all, in any way, shape, or form. So in the book of Acts chapter 8, you've got this individual um, by the name of um, Simon. <clears throat> Let's just go down here to verse 9. So there was a certain man called Simon, which aforetime in the city used a sorcery in bewitching the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least of the, to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Now, I want you to think about this just for a second. What happens here? Here's this guy. He is known as Simon the Sorcerer. And Simon the Sorcerer has got a nice good group of people that are following him and we're talking about the lowest form of people and the highest form of people and they're all following him saying he's a man of god 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 all right and it says in verse 11 and to him they had regard because that of a long time he hath bewitched them with sorceries this this guy's a charlatan is what he is He's not, there's no power of God anywhere near him. And what happens? It says, but when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, 
In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. Well, this is interesting. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So this guy, he believed. Wow, okay. Look at what happens here. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here we have a very interesting situation. They weren't receiving the Holy Ghost when they got saved. They had to have Peter and John come down, lay their hands on them and pray that it would come. That's very different than what we have right now. That's interesting. Verse 17, it says, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of uh, apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands that he may receive the Holy Ghost. This guy is about as obtuse as you can get. He just, he didn't get it at all. But he believed. But he didn't get it. What happens here in verse 20? And Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. He believed, but you know what? It only went so far, and it didn't go to where it needed to go. He wasn't, he wasn't saved. He says, repent therefore of thy wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart might be forgiven thee, for I perceive thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And it's interesting how he says this in verse 23, and he says, you know what's keeping you right now, Simon, from having the things of God in your life? Bitterness. Bitterness. Why? Because at one point in time, he was the top dog. Now he wasn't any longer. They weren't being enchanted by him and bewitched by him. Now they had real, real power. They had truth. They had, they had Jesus Christ. And you know what they're sitting there doing? They're worshiping God and they're worshiping Jesus. And they're excited about it. And here's Simon, and he's now realizing he has nothing left. He has nothing left. And Peter points out that the main issue and the main problem in his heart was this, bitterness. He was still in the in that, that bondage of iniquity. Why? Because he still was too filled with pride, and he was so bitter about what had happened that he wasn't in place anymore. That's what bitterness will do. That's what bitterness will do. Bitterness will cause you to not have that relationship with God the way it's supposed to be. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 4. Over the book of Colossians, it does say that, you know, husbands, they need to make sure they're not bitter against their wives. Why? Because it can hinder their prayer. But here in Ephesians chapter 4, he makes it very clear uh, in verse 30. He says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, where you by are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness cannot be part of a Christian's life. If bitterness is what keeps you warm at night, you've got a problem. If bitterness is what drives you to perform, if bitterness is what drives you to be your best, then you are failing. You are failing because it needs to be put away. Because when you go to look at the the next list in verse 32, it says, Be ye kind-hearted one to another, tender, uh, heart, uh, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know what? One of the most powerful things that you can say to a believer, I forgive you. 
I forgive you. And not to say it in a superficial manner, but to say it from the heart because you understand how much Christ has forgiven you. I forgive you. And I will tell you this, if we forgive or say we forgive, but we hold on to it, I don't care how microscopic of a part of it we hold on to, that's bitterness. He says, let all bitterness, small, great, whatever it is, let it be put away from you. Get rid of it. Not to have it in your life. Why? Because that grieves the Holy Spirit. When he looks at your heart and he sees that still there, and he comes along and he says, what do you have that there for? Well, you know, keep it around for good measure, just in case. He's like, why don't you get rid of it? Uh, you know, I, I like to pull it out every now and then and polish it up and, you know. And, and, and the Holy Spirit's like, That has no business being in your heart because your heart is not your own. (laughs) Get that thing out of here. Bitterness. Bitterness is one of the greatest impediments to growth. Because it will choke out like a thorn anything that Christ tries to do in your life. It will choke out the Word of God. It will choke out uh, the, the, the learning that we need, the correction that we need. And it will keep us from having that relationship with God that we're supposed to have. Now, again, like I said, these are just, these are just kind of five of the one of, if you will, some of the top. Some of the top. There's a lot more that we could go on. But anything that is against Christ, anything that is contrary to the Word of God is going to be an impediment to your growth. So what do we do? We follow what God teaches us. His instruction. His wisdom, His desire. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank You for this time. Thank You again, Lord, for continuing to teach us about this Christian battle. Pray, Lord, that we would just heed these things, we would listen to them, that, Lord, we would desire to please You and honor You with all that we say and do. That, Lord, these things wouldn't be in our life that would hinder us, would be traps, would be snares, would be nets, in which we would catch ourselves. But, Lord, You would clearly identify them, show them to us, and, Lord, may we receive that and repent, turn away from those things. And Lord, a desire to follow you and do that which is right according to your will and your word. Pray, Lord, you continue to meet with us for the 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.